0: Hey, what's up you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so we are in week six of an eight-week message series called Starting Point. What we're looking to do together as a church with the series is sort of wipe the slate clean on ideas about faith we may be holding on to that are inaccurate Or incomplete, and we're asking the question: What would it look like to start over with faith? If you're joining us midstream in this series, I encourage you to go back and check out the other messages from this series. It's really, really good stuff. You can find them on our online video archive or on the True North app. Full disclosure: We're adapting some material for this series by a pastor named uh, Andy Stanley, who is a lot smarter than me. So this is material that we really trust here at True North, so much so that uh, some of the points you hear today may already sound a little bit familiar if you've already been through a starting point group or even if you've attended True North on the regular. So most of us had a starting point in faith when we were children. If you were raised Uh, in a Catholic church or an Episcopal or a Lutheran or any other fill-in-the-blank church, or if you were raised Jewish or Muslim, it's very likely that a priest or a pastor or a rabbi or an imam or somebody important with fancy clothes on said to you, hey, believe this. And then your parents were like, yeah, what that guy said, do that. For others of you, the faith you were raised in was really no faith at all one of the phrases i hear all the time from my friends who have kind of an adversarial relationship with church is if i ever step foot inside a church the place would probably burn down you guys have heard that one right guess what that could also be a faith perspective you learned from as a child Also, I want to say uh, lovingly and inviting, Uh, if that's you this morning, or if that's ever been you, um, I want you to take a look around and notice that everything is okay. Nothing's on fire. You're okay. We're really glad you're here. Imagine if the fire alarm went off right as I said that. (laughs) That would be be my kind of funny. I don't know if it would be your kind of funny, but I hope nobody punks me next service after I said that. If you grew up, from from there you went and grew up and you went about your life. Maybe you were able to hold on to that faith you had as a child. Or maybe there appeared a gap between what you were taught as a child and what you experienced as an adult. And then the whole thing began to fall apart. And then some of you literally and intentionally walked away from faith entirely because whatever view of god you had didn't line up with real life we've all responded a little bit differently but the vast majority of us haven't looked back at our at the childhood version of our faith with the goal of filling in the cracks in the foundation we've just sort of gone on with our grown-up lives which are busy and full of responsibilities and stresses. Who has the time for that? And now today, for whatever reason, you're here in church again, and you kind of hope there's a God out there somewhere. You're not sure who or what that God is, but you have questions and you're at least mildly interested in finding some answers. So we're all here together this morning asking the same question. What would it look like to start over with faith? Some of you who know me know that I have a bit of a thing for sneakers. I'm not gonna lie, I've got some cool ones. These ones kind of, you know, these are pretty cool. These are actually brand new today, so I'm really a little excited to wear them. But I, I'm I'm not the guy who's gonna spend a ton of money after market. If I can't get something that I want, like for the original retail price price or less, I don't get it. That's just that. The problem with that is usually the pairs that I want are like limited production runs. And in order to get them, you need to win an online raffle or a drawing or a lottery or something. And you're not only competing against other gullible humans like me, you're also competing against thousands of AI internet bots that rig the game. So the odds are not in my favor. I confess that more than once, I've invited God into this bizarre scenario of capitalist materialism and prayed during a Saturday morning sneaker drop. Dear God, if you let me win these Air Jordans today, I promise I'll serve you with them somehow. And God's like, what? Have any of you ever tried to bargain with God Yeah, we all have this propensity to bargain and make deals with God. We've all tried to bring God to the negotiation table. We've all had moments in life where our backs are against the wall and said things like, God, if you this, I promise I'll that. Right? God, if you scratch my back... I promise I'll scratch yours. You were in high school and you are out past your curfew and you said, God, I don't know if you remember me. I know it's been a while since, since we spoke, but if you get me out of this, I promise I'll start going to church. Or, God, I can't fail this exam. If you let me pray, if you let me pass, I promise I'll read my Bible more. Those examples are kind of silly and trivial, but sometimes there's a lot more on the line. God, we really can't afford another child right now. If you make this pregnancy test negative, I promise we'll make it up to you. We've all done this. We've all bargained with God. We've all negotiated with God. Every religion does this. In every religion, people negotiate with God. And sometimes even people who don't believe in God will try to negotiate with God. To whom it may concern. If there's anybody out there, whoever you are, I'm at my breaking point, Let, let's make a deal. We all at some point in life will have moments where we say, okay God, I will if you will. But here's the thing. We don't keep our end of the deal. We don't. Because if you negotiated and it worked out in your favor, what did you do? You said, wow, I was really lucky. Yeah, I got home and my parents were asleep. Yeah, my boss was out sick today, so I had another day to work on that project. Yeah, the birth control came through after all. (sighs) So when it works out in our favor, we don't even follow through. We're not better people. We don't learn anything. It's just sort of a desperate attempt to get what we want. So now that we can all freely admit that we do this, there are two big assumptions that come with attempting to make a deal with God. And these assumptions are a really good place to begin a perspective shift on the whole thing. Assumption number one is that God knows you exist. Now, this is actually a pretty big deal. If you've ever attempted to negotiate with God, you have way more faith than you think you do if you've ever attempted to negotiate with god you have more than enough faith to embrace any religion or faith tradition how so daniel because if you've ever tried to negotiate with god you believe that god knows you exist you think god knows your name you think god knows where you are you think god knows your circumstances you think God gives a rip about you somehow. It's a lot of faith. It it sounds weird, but that actually is a lot of faith. But here's the other assumption that we make if we've ever negotiated with God, and we're going to actually park the car here for a little bit this morning. Here's the other assumption. You believe that you have something that God wants. If you've ever tried to negotiate with God, you believe that you have something that God wants. Think about any time you've ever been in a a negotiation with anybody. It's like, okay, I know what I want from you. Let's see if I have anything you want. We're looking for an even exchange. And we do the same thing with God. Okay, God, uh, you want some obedience? Uh, that's doable. I think I can obey you a little bit. How about some church attendance? I could definitely give you some church attendance if that's what you want. How about some money? Huh? Huh? I hear about giving all the time. You want to, how about some money? I could do that. Sometimes we think God just wants us to be quiet. God, if you hook me up, I promise I'll never ask you for another thing ever again. And when we're really desperate, we're like, God, I don't know what you want from me. Just give me a clue. You believe that you have something God wants from you. But here's the thing, and this is really big. This is the thing that distinguishes the Christian faith From other faith traditions. This is the thing that sets Christianity apart. God doesn't negotiate with us. God doesn't negotiate with us because there's no point in bargaining with God. There's no point in bargaining with God because you don't have anything God needs. I love playing fantasy football. Any of you guys into fantasy football? None of you? Okay, as if I wasn't enough of a dork before. Okay. (laughs) I have a pretty good team so far this year. I'm off to a good start. I've got some good players. But it's a few weeks into the season, and we're at the point where you can tell the bad teams from the good teams. And all the bad teams in my league are now desperately trying to improve their teams and, you know, get some better players. And I keep getting these terrible, terrible trade offers like, bro, I don't have any use for your third string wide receivers or your extra kicker. Stop messaging me. There's no deal to be made because you don't have anything I need. Neither do we have anything God needs. We don't even have anything God wants. If that were the end of the discussion, we'd be in trouble. But thankfully, it's not. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. When you read the New Testament, and in particular when you read the story of Jesus and the accounts of those who came after Jesus, this becomes more and more clear. God wants something for you. Have you ever thought about that? Now, in the Christian faith, there's a word that encapsulates this whole idea, sums it up for easy portability. That word is grace. Chances are you've experienced grace at some point in your life. You ran out of gas but you had no money and you just needed some, enough gas just to get home so the guy at the pump gives you a couple of bucks so you can do that. That's grace. You get pulled over for a busted taillight and the officer lets you off with a warning. That's grace. Every once in a while we experience grace out of nowhere. Hey, I'm going to do this for you. Not because you deserve it, but because I want to do something for you. This same kind of grace is at the epicenter of the New Testament and all of Christianity. What's another way we can define grace? One of the best definitions I've seen for grace is this. Unmerited favor. That's a great definition because it's easy to remember. It's short. You don't need to Google it. But think about this. Unmerited means that I did or you did nothing to deserve it. It's unconditional. Unmerited favor means I'm getting something for nothing. If there's any cost associated with grace, It's born by the one giving it out. The person receiving the grace never takes credit. You don't walk away going, wow, how awesome must I be? It's grace that we don't deserve. But a lot of times it turns out to be grace we need. Grace in some ways is like getting exactly what you don't deserve on the positive end. Grace is like mercy squared, you know, like an exponential math problem. If mercy is not getting what you do actually deserve, grace is an upscale of that. If mercy means you won't be punished for your crime, grace means not only will you not be punished for your crime, but you'll also get a party with cake. It's a step up from mercy to get what you know you don't deserve this is what the christian faith is all about we're going to take a look at someone in the new testament who was himself a big beneficiary of some big time grace the apostle paul first shows up in history not as paul but as a man named saul who was persecuting followers of jesus his goal was to stamp out the church and arrest all the christians And then he became one. And then he became the most famous one. And then he became the one who planted more churches than anybody else in the ancient world. So it's about the year 65 AD and Paul at this point is in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel of Jesus. So this is about 30-ish years or so after the events of Christ's life happened. So there are still some eyewitnesses of Jesus running around. And while Paul is in prison, he writes a letter to believers living in a port city called Ephesus, which is located in what is now Turkey. We now call this letter the Book of Ephesians. Paul did not know these people in Ephesus personally. We know this because in the other letters that Paul wrote that made it into the New Testament, he's name-dropping. Like, there's people in that community he knows. He's saying he's pointing directly at them. He doesn't know these people... At all this is a case where Paul heard through messengers that communities of faithful people he never met have sprouted up on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea so he's not writing to any Christians in particular he's writing to all of us and in this letter Paul gives us extraordinary insight into what it means to understand and to embrace the grace of God He starts out pretty negative. Ephesians 2, verse 1 starts out with this. As for you, you were dead. What is this, a zombie movie? What's happening here? He continues. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. By dead, he meant you were separated from God. If you are dead, you are separated from life. So Paul is saying, you know what? In terms of relationship with God, you didn't have one. You tried to find life and meaning somewhere else. But a few verses later, he hits a bit of a transition point. This is verses 4 and 5 of that same chapter. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul is saying, you had a big time problem, but God. You were done for, but God. You were lost in the abyss, but God. The reason why this is so important is that the traditional way of approaching God we're accustomed to is this. God, I have done some bad things, but I am going to do better. God, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I am going to start praying more. God, I really screwed this up, but I, but I, but I, And to that, Paul says, okay, it's a new day. No more of that. There's a new approach. God has done done something new. When you realize that you're dead, when you realize that you're far from God, when you realize I need to start over with God, it's never a but I. It's a but God. But God, who is what? Who is rich in mercy. So remember a few minutes ago, we introduced Paul as someone who received some big-time grace? For Paul to write this statement is amazing because he truly understood the mercy of God. He realized that God should have crushed him, that God should have said, You're trying to destroy my church? Bye, Felicia. You're done. God had every reason in the world to squash Paul like a bug. What happened instead was God said, Oh, so you're going to try to destroy the church by putting all the Christians in prison, are you? I have an idea. I'm going to show you just how rich in mercy I am. I'm going to show the whole world how rich in mercy I am. Attention, everyone. Attention, all heavens and earth. I have an announcement. I'm going to choose this guy, Paul. Yeah, that guy, Paul, the Christian killer, the Christian hunter. Yeah, you know him. I'm going to choose him to choose to plant more churches than anybody else in this generation. That is a lot of mercy. So Paul knows what he's talking about when he writes, God, who is rich in mercy. Why is God so rich in mercy? Flashback again to verse 4. Because of his great love for us. This answers the question, God, why do you care? Why would you listen to my prayers? What have I done to deserve that? To which God says, it has nothing to do with you. The answer is, because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for you. Verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. There's that word again, grace. We have been saved by grace, which is a gift from God because of his great love for us. And I know this grace might sound too good to be true, but I assure you it is real. That's why this grace is amazing. I truly, truly hope you'll take some time to really chew on this during the week. And it's okay if it doesn't fully make sense to you right now. It's okay to wrestle with it. I understand how crazy it sounds that there's a God who loves you and doesn't want anything from you, only wants something for you. But it's not crazy. It's amazing. Amazing grace. No more negotiating. No more bargaining. No more making deals you can't live up to. I think the internet sneaker bots will be around forever. But once you embrace this grace, once you understand how loved you are by God, everything you do becomes a response to that grace your entire life becomes a response to God's love. and It's my hope together that as a community, we will all work together to help one another to understand and embrace this love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the wisdom that you imparted through the Apostle Paul to let us know that not only do we not have to make a deal with you, there's no point in making a deal because the work's already done. You did it all already, Father. And all we have to do is have faith in your grace and your love and trust that you love us that much. We pray that as we go about our week and as we wrestle with this, sometimes it's complicated. Some, it doesn't make sense in the real world where everything seems like some kind of exchange that we have to be even-handed with. Everybody's got to equal out. So we're wired just the entirely wrong way, Father. But we pray that you would work in us and help us to understand and help us to really immerse ourselves in your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUE NORTH to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.